the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, fasten your seatbelt. Sitting up, sit ups, uh, sit up straight. Uh, we've got uh, we've got the professor in the room with Brandon J. Weicker. Brandon Weicker is uh, rejoining us on Mondays uh, for a couple weeks. We had him on Tuesdays just because of the holiday season. Uh, we are back to Brandon's Mondays. He is the author of Winning Space: How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked: China's Race to Control Life. He is a columnist for the Asia Times, the Washington Times, American Greatness, and uh, just uh, one of one of my favorite comment commentators on on things going on domestically and internationally, and a great teacher, the great Professor Brandon Weicker. Welcome back to the Airways of Phoenix, Brandon. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, hello, Phoenix. It's one of my favorite cities. Yes, mine too, brother, mine too, but you're in one of my favorite states, Florida. We might talk about yep. some of that in a moment. Yep. We have a Speaker of the House. Uh, last time we talked, we do didn't, we? and uh, now we do, and it seems almost, I mean, you know, the way things move so fast here, it, it, it it's almost not going to be a conversation anymore. Let me... Let me ask you if you agree with with a tentative thought I have, and I may be very wrong about this, but for people that say the concessions were mostly good things, I don't I don't fully disagree. I don't disagree that they were mostly good things, but it just seemed to me it could have been done differently, and it also seems to me the payoff isn't perhaps going to be worth the yield. I, I want right. Kevin McCarthy to go into negotiations with the Senate and the White House strong and them knowing he right. has the backing, complete backing of the House caucus. And I just think he goes in weakened, and I think the Democrats know yeah. that he has a um, – that they can, pe- they, can pick off, they can pick off against him, pick off Republican members of the right. caucus against him. You're, you, you were one, once upon a time a creature of the House. You, you tell me what, <laughs> what the re- end result of all this is. Oh, I think it was. I think it was completely self-destructive. Um, I do think some of the changes were good. Um, I think, though, people need to remember. And I realize. Look, I, I'm not the biggest Kevin McCarthy fan either. But Kevin McCarthy was already conceding most of those points. Yeah, that's before, the thing. By Wednesday, the they had everything vote. they were going to get. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was going to do the motion to vacate. He said, "Let's make it five. Gates wanted one. Now Gates won that." But what this means is that any time a member of either party of the House doesn't like something the Republicans are going to do, they can get one vote to yeah. stop gum up the works. That, that's kind of my point about when he goes into negotiations with the White House and the Senate, is the Democrats at the White House and in the Senate know that they can, they can weaken McCarthy, that he goes in very weak and that they can tinker with his... He's not coming with the full bore of the Republican caucus. miserable. Right. And it yeah. is, you know, and, and it is going to be so stupid. I mean, literally, the Republicans could, could you know, have a motion they want to pass that says the sky is blue. And some one member right. can say, I think it's purple. Right. And if you don't agree, I am going to shut the, the whole thing down. And guess what? I am going to now... 
demand someone else as the speaker, and then they're going to have to vote on that, and we'll have to go through and this And we'll again. go through this whole and thing again. again and again. I also happen to think, and, uh, you know, I, I don't always like being the cynic here, but I also happen to think that these concessions, they're, give them about four months. And I, and I think people are going to be as unhappy as they otherwise would have been. Let me just put it that way. I, yeah, you know, well, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, well, and then also you have to remember, let's say that the House, because of these concessions, or no matter what, those 20 are going to say be, be, the concessions are why the House is together and the Republicans are pushing this stuff and la, 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 la. But the bottom line is, let's say all that's true. It's not all true, unfortunately, but let's say it was. The, anything the House passes... The Senate's just going to kill. Yeah. And it's like People are going to be mighty disappointed. And, Wait, I thought we won this principled week. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And no. if by some, by some, you know, act of God, the Senate does get on board with the House Republicans and passes something that the Republicans in the House want, guess what? Joe Biden's the president. Yeah. He's not going to, he's not going to sign anything into law. Yeah. Nothing. Right. And everybody's sitting there saying, well, this is good. Gridlock will, at least it gridlocks everything, freezes everything in place. That's true up until either, depending on who you talk to, February or the latest July, we're going to have to have a vote on the debt ceiling. Right. And I don't like the debt. And I know you don't. Nope. And I'm very angry about the omnibus bill that was passed. Yep. And that's why we had this fight. Yep. But guess what? We the aren't going to win was... that one. We're not going to win it. Well, and if we and if we default, if we don't raise the debt ceiling, we default. Or and threaten to default, shut the government go down, and re- we'll lose that argument as well. Yes, and then we're going to go into a recession. And yep. guess what? Guess who is who? Who's directly exposed? Half of our debt through Treasury bond purchases is owned by private pension funds. So if we default on our debt, it's the private pension funds, us, people like me, people, everybody, anybody who has a pension, they're the ones who are going to get hurt the most. It's not going to be the politicians. It's not going to be Matt Gates. It's not going to be Kevin McCarthy. It's not going to be Nancy Pelosi. It's not going to be Joe Biden. It's going to be people, ordinary middle-class people. So they've got to, they've got to raise the debt ceiling this time. And if they, they're not going to, and guess who's going to get blamed when everything comes crashing down like a house of cards? Not the Democrats. It's going to be the Republicans. Yep. Going into 24, we're going to probably lose that. Yeah. I worry about that fight. This is what you would typically call a Pyrrhic victory. You know, we won, yeah. but at what cost? You know? There's a lot of that going around. There is a lot of that going around. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. There's a lot of that going around. All right. Um I you know, but God bless. Let's 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 hope for the best. Let's 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 hope that that we only had to go through that one time. I don't. Want, uh, yeah. I, I I just it just seems to me it could have been done differently. And and you know anyway, people are telling me take the win. Okay, uh, sure. Win. But I was telling you to take the win, not you. I was telling them to take the right. win a week ago. So all right, right. Well, right. Uh, because nothing really, nothing really has changed. All of the, I think people don't point. understand this because it's not yeah. being reported in right. the press. Really, most of the concessions that they got, he was going to do anyway. That's exactly right. I mean, this notion that we're going to have investigations and that was a concession, never a concession. Never was. Right. Never was. Everybody knew we were going to do right. that. Everyone I was knew. talking to you about that in July. And, yeah, right. And that was kind of Jim Jordan's call anyway. So, right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I just I guess my ultimate message here to our to our um, fellow partisans in movement is be patient. If you think you won a lot, 
fine, but be patient because we're telling you um, it's you're not you're you're not going to feel a lot of quick hard victories. You're just not. Especially uh, because we don't have the Senate. Yeah, I mean, this is yeah. so stupid. Like yeah. it's, we barely have the House. And we did this to ourselves. Not even John Boehner had to go through this. And he was the weakest right. speaker we've had right. in years. Right, right, right. I had a guy telling me the other day, um, well, Kevin McCarthy didn't argue forcefully enough when he went to the U.S. Senate on the $1.7 trillion. And I said, when's the last time you heard of a congressman in the minority telling the Senate what to yeah. do? Yeah. I mean, look, nobody liked, nobody that I know, including McCarthy's people, did not, They nobody liked that bill no it was pushed down our throats by really the senate yeah that was the senate the thing. republicans you know ultimately mccarthy was the minority leader that that, that has meaning the minority leader means you're not going to be able to get anything done that's right you're the minority leader that's right and the <laughs> senate know? already doesn't quite really want to hear what a house member right. has to say much less a house right. member from the minority yeah Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It just was really unfair. Yeah. It was. Well, I just think it weakened our hand. That's all. I again, oh, I'm with you. I, you know, I, I have no love for I'm McCarthy. It McCarthy just weakened guy. our hand. That's all. It weakened our yep, hand. Exactly. Exactly. And nobody sees it that way on our side. I realize that. I but think you and I are the only two who see this. I on, think actually. so. And you know what? We're gonna we're gonna see. Unfortunately, in about a year and a half, two years between this and the, the coming debt ceiling fight, you know, if they. If, if this thing goes upside down on us, if the economy crashes or there's a recession because of it, the Democrats are going to look walk away looking like the heroes because they're going to blame everything on the Republicans. Yeah. They want us to do this with the debt ceiling yeah. that we did with McCarthy. Well, they, and, and, and those 20 are, I'm sure, and maybe more, probably more, are going to are gonna push hard on that debt ceiling fight, and it's going to be yep. a tough one. It's going to be a real tough a one. We, they have us kind of where they want us. Is, is, That's is, exactly right. Yeah. And I'm tired of that also. I'm really I tired too. of getting outmaneuvered by the party that has AOC in it. Yeah. I'm really tired of it. I know. I know. Um but that is that party now, and I don't care yeah. what anyone says. That is that party. All right, I got to take a quick commercial break, uh, BW. Let me do that, and we'll come back. I want to talk to you about a couple columns you have in Russia, Ukraine. Um, it kind of goes to something big and important you were saying about the world order in your most recent American Greatness column. So let's pick up on all that when we come right back on the other side of this break. I am Seth Liebson. He's Brendan Weikert. We will be right back. As I go to break, put in a word for our friends and sponsors at Y-Refi. They have an investment in a portfolio that's not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. People are already realizing great rewards with Y-Refi. It's a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's up to 10.25%. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth Liebson. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is a columnist at American Greatness, the Asia Times, the Washington Times, author of several books, as we mentioned. And his most uh, recent piece in American Greatness, What World Order? There is no world order. Whatever it once was, whatever glories it once gave us, the order is long gone. Let me hold that in abeyance as we first talk a little bit more about Russia and Ukraine. Brandon, you're, you're coming in with some intel here that things are going to start turning dramatically for the worse pretty soon, huh? 
Yeah, it's looking like, and again, this is, you know, the nature of this conflict is deception, like so many conflicts, but in particular this one is very hard to discern. But from what I'm hearing, I'm confirmed, is that the Russian forces have broken through three key points in the Ukrainian defensive line in Bakhmut. And what that means is that this isn't even the full Russian force that's been deployed. This is just sort of, you know, kind of first contact groups. Um, it is my contention that the reason the Ukrainians, and the Ukrainians have done a very, as you and I have talked about, a really good job, much better than anybody assumed they would in that first phase yep. of the war. Yep. The problem is people need to realize that, that Putin was thinking as a politician when he invaded initially. He thought he could go in there with a small fraction of a force and that as soon as the Russians showed up, the Ukrainians would welcome him with open arms because, really, they didn't like their government. Well, that was wrong. He tried to do the war on the cheap, and he ended up paying for it with interest on the back end. So 160,000 guys went in last year. Upwards of 109,000 have been killed or wounded of that force. Well, guess what? The Russians have a much larger military than just 160,000 guys. They are sending 350,000 fresh new troops into the meat grinder. And if anybody knows anything about Russian military history, Russian military, uh, you know, history is not replete uh, full of these, um, you know, really stylish victories like yep. we're used to in the United yeah, States. Yeah, there's a lot of meat They're that very, gets ground. There's a lot of ground beef. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. They're yeah. very big. They're lumbering. They're plodding. They, 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 they're, they're a slog. They take a long time. And they ground down, historically, they grind down their enemy. And then after their enemy is exhausted, that's when they punch through. The Ukrainians, the problem right now is that Ukraine has had, uh, operate, they've been operating at such a high tempo, trying to keep the Russians off base. The Russian full force has not even been deployed to Ukraine right. yet. Yeah. It is deploying now. And so the, the Ukrainians have been going so quick and moving so fast, stretching their supply lines out, trying, you know, pulling on limited NATO and American resources, that now I think the next few months is going to be the tipping point where the Russians, unfortunately, not only are going to start retaking eastern Ukraine, but I think at that point they're going to push into that second defensive line, which is the Dnieper River, and then they're going to push through that, that second defensive line all the way until you get to the so-called Zelensky line. I think that by you know, May to July of this year, you could very well see that, that, that slow, lumbering, but massive, grinding Russian force back in action, and they basically not only recovered their, their lost territory in Ukraine, but now they're, they're, they are heading and, and you know, plundering toward um, uh, Kiev. And, and that's, that's a sad thing. You will see massive, massive injudicious use of artillery. Uh, you know, the Ukrainians are begging for tanks. They're begging for, you know, armored vehicles. So we're giving them Bradley vehicles. The Germans are giving 40-year-old Marauder uh, uh, armored vehicles. The French are sending some armored vehicles. Um, the problem is they need tanks. They need about 300 tanks. The United States will not send the Abrams tanks for various reasons. Uh, the, the, the Western Europeans won't either. The Poles don't have enough. The, the British are now saying they might, but it's not going to be a sizable enough force, and it's going to take time to pull those forces from Britain and get them safely into Ukraine. And all the meanwhile, the Russians, that, that, that sort of that gauntlet fist that they now have, that iron fist, 
is going to be punching through those weakening in, uh, uh, front lines in Ukraine, the defensive lines, and they're going to be hitting those supply lines. They already have. In fact, there's this talk about this salt mine that the Wagner Group, the Russian supposed private mercenary group, headed by this billionaire who's known as Putin's chef, um, the, the, the supposedly the, the, the Wagner Group wants that salt mine. Well, what they're not talking about, it isn't just about owning salt. It's the, I believe, and I'm wondering, and this is a rumor, if that mine is where the Ukrainians have forward positioned most of their weapons that they've been receiving, and they're sort of positioning them there so that it's near the front. And if the, the Wagner Group and the Russians can take that, that mine, they will be able to effectively possibly cut off uh, the Ukrainians from a large supply depot that they've been depending on. So this is not boding well. And, and for all the rah-rah in Washington, D.C., by September of 2023 we, of this year, we are going to have spent $100-plus billion giving it to Ukrainians. We will have depleted, nearly depleted, both our and NATO's heavy weapons armaments that we need to help Taiwan, that we need to protect actual NATO members. So the, what the Congress needs to be doing is not saying we're not for Ukraine. Of course we're for Ukraine. But we need to be asking, how can we protect what's left of Ukraine before the Russians can punch through? And the only way we do that, Seth, unfortunately, is we got to call Recep Erdogan, the president of Turkey, and say we need you as a NATO member, and he's friends with Putin, and he's already offered to do this. We need you to broker a deal. We've got to get a ceasefire so that we can rearm, re-equip, and, and shore up and consolidate what the Ukrainians have taken before the Russians fully mass and punch back. Because once they punch back, it is going to be, it is going to be a meat grinder in there, and they're not going to stop. Brandon, uh, Vladimir Putin, how would, you know, I'm not one to make him akin to Hitler. I'm not one to make him akin to Stalin or even Mao. The, the the three probably most evil men of the last century. But um, where, 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 scale of one to ten, one being uh, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, ten being uh, Somoza, I suppose. Where, where, where is he? Um, how, how evil a, a man is he? If not evil, you know, how disrespectful, how disregarding, how dismissive yeah. of human humanity as we understand it, would you rate him? Where do you put his, his I, egregiousness? I think we're blessed in the sense that he, he is not Hitler. He is not Stalin. Um, he is somewhere between Ivan the Terrible uh, and maybe Mussolini. Okay. Uh, these are not good guys. Yeah, these are not guys that I want with the nukes. Yeah. But we have to contextualize him in the thousand-plus years of Russian history. Yeah. He is cold. He doesn't care about human life. But no Russian leader has cared about right. human life. Go right. back to the beginning of Russia. Right. This is what I was talking about. Their history is replete with conflict. Right. They don't care. Yeah. They don't care about life. They have a very different value of life than we do. Adam Carolla, I mean, let me let me go to break. Adam Carolla, yeah. you know, he once put it this way, the, the great foreign policy thinker Adam Carolla, he says a lot of these civilizations, you think the Nordics and the Vikings, you know, they kind of evolved. And now we think, yeah. of, you know, the Nordics, is, <laughs> people from Norway, great people, you know, they give us great music and cars. Uh, it never <laughs> happened in Russia. The, the, the evolved, the cultural yeah. evolvement never really, evolution never really took Let me hit the quick break and let's now apply all that. To, I think your most interesting of columns, uh, what world order, um, vacuum of leadership, 
problem that uh, the world has now. This wouldn't have happened in the 80s, 90s, or 2000s, or early uh, aughts, I should say. It's happening now. I'm Seth Eastbrand, and we'll talk more about it in a moment. Brandon Weikert is our guest. What world order? There isn't one. Uh, these things didn't happen under Reagan, under Bush, under Clinton. Uh, things started to unravel a bit under Obama. I think Trump freaked people out and they kind of were, if they were going to do anything, were maybe waiting for a weekend second term if they were. We have a real problem here in world leadership right now, don't we, Brandon? Right. Well, you know, I think the problem is is that whereas before uh, you mentioned the eighties, you mentioned yeah. you go back to the go back to the fifties, right? Okay. The immediate, you know, nineteen forty five, right at the end of the, the Second World War, it was very clear to everyone, for the most part, that the United States was going to need to take the lead, if anything, because all the other countries who could possibly take a global leadership role were decimated, completely, you know, obliterated by the war. So really only the United States had the industrial capacity intact, had the economy that was growing when everybody else's was destroyed, and so and had the the standing military at that point to do something as well as the nuke. Um, and the Soviet Union, their economy was destroyed, their system authoritarian, but their military was revved up and ready to go, and so that was the big threat. That threat, that singular communist threat, unified not just the United States internally, but it unified most of you know, the, the, the Western world in a real solid alliance where we had a, the same goal. And it was clear the Americans, no matter what party was in power, the Americans believed that they was in their interest that they remain engaged in the world and had a leading role in the world. And the rest of the world, the free world, was willing to let us have that leading role because they all agreed with us fundamentally that, hey, the Soviets are a big problem. Well, Winston Churchill uh, helped. I mean, he represented Europe absolutely. and he gave the Iron Curtain speech no doubt. No doubt. in 46 and, in Fulton, right? I mean, right. that and, he kind of consigned Europe for- to the protection of America, or at least free Europe. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but but the reason that we now that gets into a deeper history here, we have to remember the British. The British were not exactly um, excited yeah, about sure. having their cut their little cousins become the lead. Yeah. Um, in fact, there was a there's a great Derek Labert uh, book called The Grand Improvisation about how really the British were trying to save their their status as the world's dominant power in the 1940s under Ernest Bevan. Right who, of course, is one of the leading architects of NATO, right. uh, who was Churchill. He was sort of the liberal Churchill yeah, in Britain. Foreign minister um, but, at the time, I think. Yeah, right. Yes, but, but the point is is that, yes, we had willing partners as well in Britain, in Europe, in Japan, in, you know, and elsewhere that, that recognized that communism was a unifying threat. It wasn't just an American it's a problem for America. It was a problem for the world. And the Americans came in, and we were very generous with the Marshall Plan and with rebuilding Japan and all of that. So it all created a system in the United States for national security, as well as the system in the West, or at least in the freedom-loving countries, a system that united us on one mission. But since the fall of the Soviet Union, what mission, what is our rallying call as a group of nations? 
you know, Germany we collapsed. That, I think we collapsed right. on ourselves. I think we collapsed of right. our own weight. I think we exhausted ourselves, and I we decided that it was thing. going to be hard to even utter the words "Make America Great." But, well, but I also think that we really, you know, we listened, and I love Charles Krauthammer, but we listened to him, and we really should have been listening to Gene Kirkpatrick, yep. Yep. who wrote in the 1992 or 93, the National Interest. Yep. She wrote about. How America after the cold. This is a woman. This normal woman, country, you know, normal times, right? Was a cold warrior, yeah. a, right? Right. A, a normal country in a normal time. And I think had we listened more to her, we would have addressed the issues that have now become crises today that are tearing not just America apart, but are tearing the entire Western alliance system, that entire international, that post World War II order, that post Cold War order for sure. That it's tearing it apart, and because there's no unifying threat. Because there's no unifying consensus, that 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 system is frayed and breaking apart, and I don't think we're going to be able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I think this is where Trump was right on the money. He was about he was ahead of his time in many respects, um, but we are not going to be able to hold together. And I think that unfortunately, I am now believe I am under the impression that if trends persist, no matter what the U.S. intel community says, no matter what the media here says, no matter what the Biden and and Republican Party in Congress say, I really believe the Russians are probably going to walk away with what will be probably a Pyrrhic victory, but it will be a victory in Ukraine. And I really think that at that point, once that happens and Americans see this defeat, because remember, we were told by our leaders, this is a surefire thing. The yep. Ukrainians have got it. All we have to do is protect them. Yep. Well, we've been doing that, and yep. we will have lost. We will have lost prestige. NATO will be in question. The European Union will collapse. The euro certainly will collapse. Hold, hold that there, buddy. i got to take the break, I, and this is a big point. And I'll tell you a fun story when we come back, too. Hold the point, yeah. though. Okay, we'll be right back with more from Brandon Weicker. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is uh, author of several books, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. That superpower business we're a little worried about right now, given current thinking, uh, Brandon. That was kind of some of the point you were making. Uh, Putin will have, word of the hour, a Pyrrhic victory as it lo- the, way you, the way you schedule this thing out. And there's, there's, there's just not enough leadership here or perhaps even resolve here to do much about it after the fact and much about it to prevent it. Well, and, and you know, now it's too late, obviously, it to prevent it. Now we've got to talk okay. about mitigation. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, I, I wrote my book, Winning Space. The manuscript was finished in 2019. Yeah. I've worked on it for three years. Yeah. And it was published in 2020, as you know. But really, and I, I warned in the book that 2022 was going to be a seminal year, regardless of who won the 2020 presidential election. And I was right, is that, you know, the, the space Pearl Harbor I worried about didn't quite happen yet. But, but the shift away from the global, the American-led global world order is done. It is yeah. shifting. It is, it, we are no longer the dominant hegemonic power. And I really don't think there's anything we can do at this rate that will stop the birth of this very tenuous, multipolar, tripolar, really, three-power world of a declining United States, um, you know, a, a kind of a, a stagnant Russian Federation, and a rising China. And that is where we are right now. Nobody wants to have this conversation, 
in Washington. It's one of the reasons I'm not being brought up there as much as I used to, because they all think they've all drunk the Kool-Aid, just like they did before Iraq, just like they did in Afghanistan. They've all drunk the Kool-Aid that we're going we're gonna to do this thing. We're going to slam dunk it in Ukraine. The Ukrainians are going to do the dying. We're going to give them the weapons. Well, guess what? Most of the weapons we're giving them are really old. Uh, we are giving them our sophisticated heavy weapons systems, but as I noted, those are being depleted far more rapidly than they can be replaced in our industrial base. We've spent 40 years dis- dismantling and sending to China. So guess what? We don't have the capability to rebuild that those systems in any meaningful time frame to help the Ukrainians, which means the Ukrainians are locked away in their country. They're, being, they're going to start getting pounded like never before by the Russians. At that point, the Germans are looking to hit the chicken switch any way they can. The French are tepidly involved. My understanding is Emmanuel Macron is basically the last man standing in Paris who's supporting the Ukrainians. I believe many Yeah, of, I do believe that, right. And the Poles, you know, I, I do a lot of work with the Polish government. I'm a big fan of Poland. I'm a, I'm a, I love If I could move to Poland and get a dual citizenship, I would. That's how much I love uh, Poland. But I will say... The Poles are supporting Ukraine, yes, but historically, Poland does not like Ukraine any more than they like Russia. They are doing the right thing by supporting them, but ultimately, Poland's interest is is keeping the Russian bear as far back from their core as they can. Which means they need to keep some arms themselves, yeah, right? Well, yes, and at the same time, at the end of the day, all they care about is stopping a refugee flow coming from Ukraine into Poland. And so what could happen, I could foresee, is if the Russians by May, June, July look like they're going to punch through those defensive lines in Ukraine and they're making it to Kiev, I could foresee the Poles and maybe the Hungarians moving forces into western Ukraine, Lvov and whatnot, and basically segmenting that region of Ukraine away under Polish and or Hungarian control and basically forming a blockade to prevent, yeah, to prevent Russia from moving in, but really to prevent the destabilizing effects of mass Ukrainian war refugees. Um, and I really believe that probably uh, Putin would probably be okay with that, because really, all he really wants is eastern Ukraine and Crimea. It's all about Sevastopol the Russian naval base in Sevastopol. It's one of only two Russian warm water ports. The other one is in Syria, Tartarus. Uh, and Putin has demonstrated a willingness to go to war in both cases and do whatever it takes to prevent those areas from collapsing and going in, into the Western camp. So it's all about geopolitics with him, which is, gets back to your question, do I think he's Stalin? Do I think he's... I think that, yeah... Mussolini's a pretty really, good... I like the Mussolini analogy. I think that yeah, one fits but he's best. Thinking, yeah. he's thinking as a geopolitical yeah. guy from the 19th century. Yeah. And that's a very key thing to understand, because we don't have leaders in America who think like this anymore. And it's a problem, because now we're living with two powers, China and Russia, who do think in geopolitical 19th century terms. And we don't know what to do. We're all postmoderns. And it's not working in our favor at all. I, um... I really wanted to get into your piece on regulating big tech, but you know what? It's a big think piece. Let's save that for next week. Let's stay with sure. just let's just stay with leadership for a moment, because uh, in the next uh, last three minutes I have with you, let's just talk about uh, Joe Biden in El Paso. You were tweeting a little bit about that. <laughs> Did you see yeah. that off, off that thing he said to those Salvation Army men? He said, "I was I, I I ran into the Secret Service in Poland and the Ukraine." 
and Ukraine. He wasn't. I don't think the guy he just, had no idea where he, he has was. no idea where he is or where he's been or where he's been. right. Anyway. Right. Well, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't know anything. I mean, he's clearly I, I said it before. He is America's Konstantin Chernenko. Yeah. He is the figurehead. He's being pushed and pulled around by all the little underlings, apparatus chicks behind him and underneath him. His wife is the one really controlling things. It's not President Joe Biden. It's co-president Jill Biden. Yeah. God help us all. Yeah. Dr. Jill. And I'm telling you right now. And, and how about this? He goes to the border. It's one of the most, one of the busiest areas of the border is El Paso. Yeah, he, he had nothing to see. Out. There was nothing to see. Incredible. And, he, and now he's running around, and his little pals in the mainstream media are making fun of the Republicans, saying it's another thing they've exaggerated right. on. This is like Soviet Pravda levels of propaganda. Where they, of course, there's nothing to see there because they removed the people. Yeah, all they of a sudden it was okay to move migrants. Yeah. Deportation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you notice that? All of a sudden the migrants could be moved as long as it was being done by Democrats. Yeah. I think well, they, it's just like Nantucket. Remember yeah. DeSantis with the, the Florida migrants he sent up Yeah, to that the, bad, the but this good. Nantucket that movement bad, this Vineyard. one good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. You it, know, it, it's, it's, it's good for them, but not for us. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, the agitprop is the thing that does worry me. I mean, the, it, it's the image. Uh, Daniel Borston wrote a book called The Image in 1965. If you have access yeah. to an Internet library that can get you that you can read it, Brandon, you will be a, a slack jawed how relevant it is today. You will be. Yeah, you uh, yeah. you are wonderful to check in with and visit. Thank with you, always Brandon Weicker, author of Winning Space, The Shadow War, Biohacked. And uh, publisher of The Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. All right, Brandon, uh, go back to work. <laughs> we'll talk <laughs> you to you next week. have a good week. I'll see you next week. You gotcha. Welcome back, and thanks for spending some of your day with us. Brandon's always a treat, agree or disagree. He is a, uh, a mind alive and and. Uh, and uh, always worth listening to, even if uh, even if it's a signal as to where to think otherwise. I was just thinking biographically, maybe the audience will appreciate this. Maybe not, but maybe he was counterpoising Charles Krauthammer and Gene Kirkpatrick. And it's kind of a funny thing. I knew Charles pretty well, but um, I worked for Gene. And the funny thing about all of that uh, when I was in D.C., is uh, my first effort to get into D.C. was to apply for a job with Charles. Uh, and I made it to the semifinals. It was between me and one other guy with Charles Krauthammer. And I did the interview. This was obviously before I got to know him better. I got to know him better later. And uh, it was between uh, me and one other guy. And the other guy got it, got the job. And uh, that other guy was Rich Lowry who then went on to become editor of National Review. So maybe I would have been editor of National Review if Charles had picked me. But I got to go work for Gene Kirkpatrick, and Brandon says Gene had it right and Charles had it wrong. So I'll take that as the victory. <laughs> you never know. You never know uh, what uh, what what is good news and what is bad news. It's kind of like at the end of uh, the end of um, Charlie Wilson's War, right, uh, where the uh, where the guy says, we'll see, we'll see. Was it the Buddhist monk or the Zen master? Is the Zen master? Uh, you you never know whether to take good news as good or bad. Um, just I guess keep a steady strain. And we appreciate doing it with you every day here. We really do. Thank you so much. Agree or disagree? 
we don't take any of this for granted that you would let us in your cars, living rooms, bedrooms, and ears, and hearts, and minds. I really appreciate it. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson. God bless you all, and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.